Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there and welcome to this week's Scout the Game Week. Scout the Game Week is our weekly podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Scout Scout Network. In each episode, we'll look back on the game week we've just played and assess what we can learn to help us in the next round of fixtures. We'll also catch up with a member of the Scout Network to find out what they've been up to, as well as gaining an insight into their FPL planning and content. I'm Sam from the FPL family. Let's Scout the Game Week. This week, I'm joined by Mick, who's from FPL Take the Hit. Unfortunately, we can't have Joff with us as well, but maybe he'll be able to join us next time. Mick, how are you doing? Uh, Aloha Sam, I'm amazing, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, I really appreciate being here. Yeah, it's nice to speak to somebody on literally the other side of the world. <laughs> it's um, It's been a challenge, hasn't it, for us this week, trying to get a time where you're not asleep or I'm not asleep so that we can record <laughs> this. Um, yep. How did game week 31 go for you? I had a great week. I, uh, I finished in the I think the, the top 100,000 uh, for the game week, 73 points. Jesse Lingard, Jesse Lingard, uh, vice captain. KDB didn't play, so got got a little bit lucky there, but I'll take it. You know, I'll take any luck I can get. So thank you, Jesse Lingard. <laughs> Jesse who is, Lingard. Who is Jesse Lingard? What, what's his reputation in England like? Because in Australia, he never really got a reputation. So I don't even know what to expect from this guy. It's funny, really, because I, Lee and I recorded a video last night, um, our points prediction video, which will be out on the FF Scout YouTube channel at some point on Wednesday. Um, and one of the conversations we had on there was about Jesse Lingard. Uh, and I, I looked up what Jesse Lingard's record was um, prior to this season. His Prior to this season, his record was eight goals in one season in 33 appearances for Manchester United. So that's back in the 17-18 season. This season at West Ham, he's made nine appearances and already got eight goals. So if he gets any more, he'll have made his record in what, like a third of the game time that he's got in that previous season. So it is unbelievable. I think Jesse Lingard, for me anyway, has always had... He's always had a bit of a Jack the Lad reputation, but but always looked like a decent player when he's got minutes and had time to play, but he's never really got any settled game time um, and always kind of just sort of been one that you've just sort of let slide. He's never really broken into the first teams anywhere that he's gone. And, and his arrival at West Ham kind of took me a bit by surprise for a start because I wasn't necessarily expecting him to end up there. But also his kind of, confidence and his desire to play well was just it's just insane um I've been really impressed with Lingard actually in these last nine games so it'd be interesting to see whether he can maintain this and what happens to him at the end of the season because of course this is just alone so will he stay at West Ham will he go back to Manchester United my my suspicions are that West Ham will want to keep him um and if they do manage to keep him how good will he be next season like is this a 
is this a change in Jesse Lingard and will this be sustained? And of course, he's also got the Euros to consider as well with England this summer. So I suspect that if he continues playing like this, he'll make it onto the play. Um, you've already told us that you, you feel fell foul of the pet roulette this week in terms of KDB. Did you have any other City players this weekend? No, I wildcarded in game week 30 and I got rid of all of them except for my boy KDB. I just I couldn't part with Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, and I know, I know I'm rolling the dice with Pep every week, but I don't know. Hopefully City get knocked out. They probably won't <laughs> of the Champions League, but we're gonna have to wait and see. You know, I just I got I gotta keep Kevin, you know. I really want to captain him towards the end of the season, but then if and when City go and win the title, I'll have to reconsider. It's interesting, isn't it, with with KDB um, and also with all of the City assets. I think there's always one that you kind of feel like you don't want to take out. For me, it's been Diaz. Ruben Diaz has been just phenomenal this season and and I've really enjoyed owning him. I've enjoyed the consistency of the, the points returns that he brings. And this was the first time that I've really fell foul of, of the pet roulette because I've only really had him. Had Gundogan for a while as well. But I think for me going through the rest of the season, I'm probably looking to just stick with one city. I haven't yet played my wildcard. So the decision is going to come as to which one it's going to be because like you I am somewhat concerned that when the league gets won which probably won't be that far away now um, and if they stay in the Champions League which I'm expecting that they will today um, or later on this evening when they play it does add another element of doubt to my mind about which ones which ones I want particularly with that blank in 33 to contend with as well. Before we get into scouting the game week then, let's talk about a little bit more about you um, and FPL Take the Hit. So you do this with your brother. So it's a real family affair, a bit like it is for Lee and I. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where the idea for FPL Take the Hit came from? Well, originally we were going to call ourselves FPL Family, but then it was taken. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, FPL Take the Hit, it's basically my brother and I, we've been playing this game for 13, 14 years and Every single week, I found us on the phone, you know, Monday morning over here, you know, the games are pretty much done. And we're just talking FPL for a good half an hour, 40 minutes and consistently. So eventually the, the idea came to me, why don't we just record these conversations and, you know, put them up and as a podcast, you know, we listen to, we used to listen to the Scoutcast all, all the time. That was literally my go-to podcast uh, when I was first um, becoming an FPL manager. So this is talking, yeah, Mark and Granville days. And they really inspired us to do our own thing. And that really, that, um, that, that's what made, you know, uh, FBL Take the Hit come to life. And brother and I have just kept it going ever since. And it's just, for me, my favorite part of FPL is the lessons that it can teach you in your own life. Yeah, it, can, it teaches so many lessons that if you're open to the messages that you can receive just from this simple game, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, because it can teach you about patience, about, you know, about uh, being attachment, yeah, being attached to a certain player for too long. All of a sudden, he goes on a dry spell. But there's so many different little hidden elements in FPL that I really enjoy uh, playing this game and this season for me it was it was literally uh, so far this season I've had to surrender to the fact that I'm not having a great season I just need to just do my thing play my game and really push my limits because I find myself when I do you know, most seasons I am in you know the top 50k or whatever and I'll get to a point where I want to plateau and this season's been a different 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 ball game because I've been able to literally express myself and you know captain players like Jesse Lingard and mm-hmm. you know I brought in Ian Acho early just getting on these players early before they actually prove themselves to you and I mean, that's what FBL Take the Hits all about. Yeah, we, my brother and I have always been big advocates of taking hits, which I know is very much not looked at very goodly in the FBL community. <laughs> but for us, taking a negative four or negative eight, that's just what we do. You know, we like to have fun with this game. And most of the time it works out for us. So far this season, I haven't pulled off one good negative eight and I've taken four of them. So, you know, yeah, you have your seasons where they don't play out. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all fun. It's all fun and games. That's what it's all about. It, it's really interesting listening to you talking then because – 
it very much reminds me of, of why Lee and I started the FPL family. Like it was exactly the same. It was just conversations that we were having every Friday pre-deadlines. Every time that a game finished, we'd be like, how many points do you get? Where are you now? And it, it just became something else entirely. So you, the, the background for Take the Hit is, is very similar. Your views on taking hits, I must admit, are polar opposite to mine because I've been trying this season to, to, to go the whole season without taking a hit. Now I have made one. Uh-huh. It was way back in September time. And I did it at that point because I had an injured player and it was like, right, well, I've, I've just got to do it then. And so I took one minus four at that point, but otherwise I've not taken a single hit all season. And it's been quite an interesting um, journey because normally I'm not opposed to taking a minus four um, and I will take one. I am quite anti minus eight. I, have te- I did take some last season, but actually I had a better season last season. And I'm not sure whether that's a result of the hits or not is the reality. I think this season has been a bit bonkers. So it's difficult to kind of work out whether my season's going worse this year because it's a bonkers year or whether it's because of my strategy on hits. So it's something that I might try again next season when we're a bit more, I want to say normal, but I'm not sure what normal is anymore. But when we get back (laughs) to kind of some more um, normal three o'clock kickoffs and that sort of thing, I might try that again. Um, what are your plans for the future of FPL Take the Hit? Is it something that you're looking to expand on, grow, do anything differently? Or is it just kind of because it's just you two having a chat? Is it likely to just be that? Well, we've always had these plans and these little schemes where we're going to go with it. But in the end, my brother and I are just we're, just, we're just very relaxed people. You know, we really just flow with the universe, take you know, wherever it takes us. And we just, we're really content with what we do. You know, we, we just put out a show, you know, we, we just have a chat, have a laugh. And, you know, it's, it's at a point now that we've been doing it long enough that our conversations are just so organic on, on camera, on, on the podcast and that we just sit down have a chat and it's a bit of fun. And then sometimes we'll do lives and they're always great as well. I, I really love enjoying, you know, um, interacting with the, with the mm. fans of the show. So, you know, it's all, it's all just fun, fun and games for us. And we, we really just have, have a good time with it. Amazing. Where can people find you? So what are your social media handles, YouTube channel, that kind of thing, if they want to, and they don't already, where can they follow you? Yeah, so FBL Take the Hit on YouTube. On Instagram, it's just at FBL Take the Hit. Uh, it's the same on Twitter. So uh, hit us up on any one of them. Amazing. And of course, um, you'll be able to find the Take the Hit Boys in, in most of our network articles that go out over the weeks and months of the season you'll be able to see their content in there as well okay then let's get into scouting the game week we'll start with game week 31 because we've already mentioned the pet roulette we've mentioned um jesse lingard of course and his continued fire that he's been providing of late but it's going to be another couple of busy days because we have another friday evening deadline this week because of spurs's double game week um in game week 32 we'll talk about spurs a bit later on but I think we should start with with West Ham um, and a little bit more conversation about Lingard. We don't yet have any firm news about Aaron Creswell in terms of his injury, but did go off with a bit of a hamstring. So it isn't looking promising. It's something to keep an eye out for with David Moyes towards the end of the week. Rice continues to be out. So whilst I think we're both agreed that Jesse Lingard looks like a great option and, and you just own him and love him while he's in this run that he is... What about the West Ham defence? Because they've been go-tos for, for a lot of people now. Kufal's been playing well. He's got a couple of assists in recent game weeks. But if they're missing Rice and Creswell, what does that mean in terms of Kufal, Fabianski, if you own him? Should we be sticking with our West Ham defenders based on the leads that they're letting slip? You know, we were 3-0 up and ended up nearly throwing that game away with Leicester. 
yeah, that was that was a big game for them. And even going into that game, I knew it was going to be a high pressure game for West Ham because they're really getting tested for their credentials. They haven't been up these and heady heights. Like I was walking, talking to one of my mates who's a West Ham fan, and you can't believe what West Ham are doing this season. Neither can I. So I think they're just going to ride the wave. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in a, such a good sport under Moyes. And like you said about Sufal, he, the, the game against Leicester, he played out of his skin. He could have mm. had a goal assist in that game. But yeah, I, I, I like Sufal as an option, even Fabianski, if you want to go that way. Obviously, Creswell's been amazing. But if he's out, then Sufal's really your only option. Yeah, I mean, I, I as a Creswell owner, I was really disappointed at the weekend when he went off from 52 minutes. I was like, this hurts. It hurts, particularly as he'd already <laughs> been booked. So it was a naught pointer. I was like, wow, I was not Ooh. seeing this coming. Um, yeah. And I was really annoyed until Leicester scored. And then I was a bit like, well, okay, it would have only been a one pointer then anyway. So it's it, it's less annoying. But I did have a plan. And we, I'll talk about this a bit later. But I did have a plan for game week 32, which involved my, my, um, my bench boost chip, which I'm still holding. Oh. But... With Creswell's injury, it's kind of thrown a bit of a spanner in the words because now I'm thinking, well, I really need to replace Creswell. I don't really know where I'm going to go with it. I had a, a bit of a plan, but we'll get to it later. So I'm keeping a really close eye on, on Moyes and West Ham. I think as a doubled, well, I have three West Ham players. I have Jesse Lingard, of course. I still have Thomas Suchek, um, and I still have Aaron Creswell currently. Aaron Creswell, bless him. I would have held till the end of the season. I, I think he's been that good. But this hamstring, it, it's never a good sign when a player tries to play on with a hamstring injury and goes down like 20 seconds later has to get taken off. So I do worry a little bit about them. And I do worry defensively about them without him and Rice. I think without them, their, their defence might be susceptible. So it's one to keep an eye on for sure. On the other side of that fixture, then we had Leicester. Leicester are about to enter an amazing period of four fixtures, which just look, well, unbelievable in terms of point. I was really a bit disappointed with Leicester, though, in game week 31. Now, of course, they had some issues in the squad in terms of Madison and Perez missing out. That was disappointing if you brought in Madison this week, but it seems like after the FA Cup, he'll be back and available again. So maybe something to just kind of ride through if you bought in Madison as part of a wildcard deal but the rest of them I was really kind of disappointed with Ian Acho had a brilliant game I thought he looked really good but Jamie Vardy looking like why would you want to spend more money on him than you would on on his current attacking partner exactly right I um I was a like I said I got I got in on earlier with uh, Ian Acho and it's I've always liked Ian Acho I've always appreciated him and I, I know he's just never had the minutes to shine yeah and when, obviously, with the injuries they picked up yeah, with Madison and with Barnsley, yeah, Ihan Nacho breaking into that team, I'm loving it. I am loving it because I've always admired this player. So as soon as he you know, got, got a couple of goals, I brought him straight in. And he is outperforming Jamie Vardy at the moment. You know, We're watching an ageing Jamie Vardy with this young Ihan Nacho sweeping him off his feet. And I'm loving it because I'm not a, I've never, never been a big Jamie Vardy fan. So I'm really enjoying Ian Acho getting his light and shining now. I'm really enjoying it. So I can't recommend him highly, especially after that game. Leicester were poor, but Ian Acho just dragged them back into that game single-handedly. And I think a lot of managers will be looking at game week 32, uh, 33, 34, 35, and the fixtures that Leicester have and thinking is a Leicester defender a good option? Because in, in reality, with the fixtures the way that they are, they look on paper to be clean sheets for the next four weeks. Something you're thinking about, bringing in a Leicester defender, maybe Castagna, Suyunju's obviously back. He missed out last week, but he was ill. 
should be back again for game week 32. And we've seen in seasons gone by how good Soyuncu can be at getting some attacking returns as well. Even potential maybe to go with the goalkeeper and, and look at Schmeichel if you're looking for a change away from Martinez, who doesn't look to have the fixtures moving forward. Do you think the Leicester defence are worth investing in? I actually had Schmeichel on my wildcard last week, but due to the Spurs double game week, I had to shift some money from my defence into Sun so I could have the Sun Kane double up. Uh, because exactly what you said, the fixtures are looking good and Schmeichel's a great option. And I think, yeah, like you said, Castagna and, and Pereira are, another, are both other good options. Playing you know, If they continue to play the way they played against West Ham as the, as the wing backs, they're fantastic options with this, uh, you know, this run into fixtures because Leicester do want to hold top four. And I think they've got the nows to do it. Uh, it's it's going to be difficult though because there's a lot of competition. That was going to be my next question to you actually because last season we saw an utter collapse from Leicester towards the back end <laughs> of the season. They were in the driving seat for for the top four last year. They seemed to be the side that were unlikely to miss out and then just fell apart. And I watched the game against West Ham on Sunday and thought, wow, are we getting another repeat of Leicester falling apart right at the death of the season? But then the last 20 minutes or so of the game, we saw a bit of get up and go from Leicester and and they did nearly take something from that game in the end. They were kind of a bit unlucky towards the end not to get a draw out of it. Although I think West Ham did deserve the win. So no credit to them for managing to hold it on. But I do have some slight concerns about Leicester. I think I was concerned about Ian Acho's minutes when Madison returned, whether it would be him that missed out for Madison to come back in or whether it would be Perez. But actually, I think his performances have been so good and his goal scoring um, run that he's been on has been so impressive that it would be very, very difficult for Rodgers to leave him out of that side. So I think he's fairly safe. The defence is something that I'm definitely looking at. I'm planning to wildcard ahead of game week 33. So I'm sort of now going to wait, I think, because priorities for most FPL managers going into game week 32 are going to have some sort of strategy for Spurs, uh, working out how you have enough Spurs to cover the double, but also not too many Spurs so that you've got an issue for 33 because, of course, Spurs, Man City, Fulham, um, Southampton blanking in, in 33 for the League Cup final. I don't really want to talk too much about Spurs at the moment because they're going to come up a bit later. Of course, we're going to have to talk about them and, and who who you would go to from Spurs for game week 32. But let's talk about their game week 31 opponent, opponents in, in Manchester United. I found this really interesting, this game. Of course, as a Spurs fan, I was disappointed with Spurs and I thought Manchester United played well, probably deserved, well, they did deserve to win the game. But Bruno, for me, was disappointing again. And... It seems to happen that when Pogba plays, I feel disappointed in Bruno. He is clearly a really talented player, but his returns have dried up. Is he somebody that you think FPL managers can consider selling? Or is it one of those things that, you know, it's just going to hurt you if you do? Bruno, I'm a big fan of Bruno. Uh, my brother's an even bigger fan of Bruno. So if he was here right now, I'm going to channel him right now. <laughs> You'd be telling you you're absolutely crazy if you think of taking out Bruno. Uh, and he was, he, but he's the same with Salah. Whereas I, I sold Salah, and you know, I just for Salah's price, I don't think he's performing at the at the level of you know what Salah can actually bring to the game. Bruno, you know, he's still he's a bit cheaper, and you, you've got to have your premiums. You know, I've got a full bench 
of just, I've got Ian Archer as my first sub. So you've got to have some premiums in there. So mm-hmm. yeah, Fernandez, he's, he's a premium. You, know, you expect him to deliver some premium points. He hasn't of late, but United are still getting the performances, which I like to see. You know, if, if the whole team was struggling, fair enough, you know, but Bruno's always one penalty away from 11 points. It's just how United work. So no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not considering taking Bruno Fernandez out for the rest of the season. No, no chance. I also think that, you know, Manchester United aren't secure yet in second place. And as you've already mentioned, that fight for the top four in the European spots is on this season. There's suddenly, you know, you've got competition from obviously Chelsea and Leicester who have been up there all season, but Liverpool are starting to come back into it now. West Ham are still up there and fighting for it. I think you can rule Spurs out now, but they're certainly going to be in and around trying to fight for the Europa League spots. So that's an awful lot of clubs all competing for very few spaces. So Manchester United can't afford to keep or to drop points or to let kind of traction go. So I do think that they are, they're going to have to push on. I think when you look at their fixtures, that's where kind of people start to have conversations because this week they've got Burnley, next week they've got Leeds, but Leeds seem to just be in the, of the mindset that they'll just go out and attack. Let's just go out and attack everybody, particularly of late. They've got nothing to lose anymore. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going to make Europe. They're comfortably mid-table. But Bielsa's not that sort of manager, is he, that's just going to let them coast out to the end of the season. He is going to be on them and they are going to be playing. So that Manchester United game against Leeds in 33, I think, could be a bit difficult for them in reality. Then, of course, after that, they've got some really important fixtures in terms of that top four race because they play Liverpool, then Aston Villa, then Leicester. Those three games could make or break what happens this season. And I think for me, whilst on paper they look difficult, they are the sort of games that you'd want Bruno for. But I guess the question is coming up because they're also not necessarily the sort of games that you would captain Bruno Fernandes in. I wouldn't fancy captaining him against Leeds necessarily. I'm not sure about... I would definitely won't be captaining him against uh, against Liverpool. And then, of course, Aston Villa, well, we know what Martinez can be like. um, And Leicester, who needs to keep winning. So... I guess it's that conversation, isn't it? That people start going, well, do I really want to spend 11.5? I think he is now, might be 11.6 on a player that I won't captain. Would I be better to shift him to Salah? Because the fixtures for Salah look better in terms of the running. The whole running looks nice for Liverpool, bar that Manchester United game. And I would give him the armband every week. I guess it's those conversations that people are starting to have about Bruno. For me, though, I... I think even on my wild card, he's going to get a stay. I just can't see me selling him. I feel so uncomfortable with even the thought of taking him out because I know how much he can punish. And like you say, <laughs> one penalty, he's got 11 points. And suddenly I'm like, what have I done? Why have I taken him out? <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't see anyone else in that United squad that can cover Bruno, whereas Jota might be able to cover Salah. That's how I would have finished that. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about Liverpool then. Um, okay. Where's your head out with them? On your wild card, what, what Liverpool players did you end up with? Any? Uh, none. I had Jota and I had uh, Trent. But like I said, with that Sun switch around that I needed Sun for the double, I had to lose Jota and I had to lose Trent to bring in Sun. And yeah, I had to downgrade Trent to actually afford Sun. But I'm probably going to undo those changes as soon as this double game week's over because I want Sun out of my team so bad. So <laughs> hopefully Sun goes and Jota comes in and Trent can come in as well because Sun has done nothing but plague me this season. I don't want him in my team. He's only there for the double, then he's gone. Nick, you are breaking my heart. Um, he's my little <laughs> ray of sunshine. How could you? Um, I think from a Liverpool perspective, I'm intrigued by them. So I bought in Yotta for Gareth Bale. Um, I just, I had Bale for 29 uh 
Dundee didn't play and I looked at him and thought right well you can stay for the Newcastle game because nobody else really had a really attractive fixture that week but he had Newcastle and I thought well look if by some miracle Mourinho decides to forgive you your indiscretions and the things you said on international break then I want you for that Newcastle game um, and if he doesn't and you don't play then I'll sell you after so I made that move and even though Yotta didn't return last week, I still am really pleased that I made that decision. I think he looked good again. He has been on a really nice goal scoring mile. 50% of the goals that Liverpool have scored this season when he's been on the pitch have involved him in some way or another, whether it be a goal or an assist. At his price point, I don't know that there's that many better options for the run-in. If you look at the fixtures on paper, he looks like he's going to go on an absolute goal scoring run right now he's got that momentum the confidence about him I'm intrigued to see what happens to Liverpool in the Champions League this evening now we've seen them come from behind before and knock out big clubs think back to Barcelona a couple of years ago unbelievable match Uh, now of course Real Madrid have the advantage going into the game this evening if Salah and his Liverpool teammates go out of the Champions League then their full focus for the run-in, will be on the Premier League and making that top four to regain the Champions League spots for next season. And at that point, I think investment in Liverpool looks like a really sensible idea. As a Yotta owner, I am kind of now pondering how and where do I add additional Liverpool players? Mm-hmm. Salah seems to have found his shooting boots again. So he looks like a nice option, but that's major surgery for most managers' teams to bring back in somebody that's at 12.4 million. Or do you go to Trent, who was in, he was the go-to defender of choice, wasn't he? Roll back the clock to August and everybody was like, right, first name on my team sheet, Trent Alexander-Arnold, or he was there or thereabouts anyway for for being, you know, early picks. Has obviously taken a few price drops since then. So you are going to save a bit of money bringing him back now. But are the clean sheets there? We've seen them lose clean sheets a lot this season, but they are looking a little bit more solid lately. And then, of course, you've got the really cheap option of Nat Phillips. So do you just think, well, I'd like to invest in the Liverpool backline in case there's clean sheets, and there should be. So do I just go cheap? How are you... So you're, you're thinking about going Yotta and Trent. Salah, Phillips, either of them interest you? Could the treble up be on, do you think? Uh, I mean, Phillips for me is like a cheap option in the Liverpool defence, which is amazing. It's great when you get those little nuggets, but this is the kind of season where we just, I've got too much money. I've got, you know, my team value <laughs> yeah. is 107 million. My bench is a joke, so I'm not even considering Phillips in that regard. Trent, yes, 100%. If he can do what he did the last two, I think he's, well, he's on back-to-back double-digit hauls. So, yeah. Yeah, having having him in my wildcard and then taking him out is yeah, it burned me a little bit. He's cost me twenty three points now, but that's why I think I've got to I've got to make yeah, just just cop that. That's that's my responsibility. I'll bring Trent in because I know what he's going to do for the rest of the season. Uh, as Salah, I'd I'd love to own Salah. I'd love to have the mm. the Salah Jota and Trent triple up absolutely for the run in. Uh, that would change though if Liverpool go through, and I I, mean, I think they might actually you know do do what uh, they can do against Madrid at home. So I think they might go through. So if they do go through, then their, their focus is going to be on the Champions League. So we're not going to get this full focus Liverpool that's you know gunning for that top four spot, a hundred percent from uh, from Klopp in the Premier League. So that would kind of you know kind of turn me off um, owning three, but I think two for sure. You know, this Liverpool really have to show us that they were champions last season because they haven't shown us yeah. this season yet. 
And they're really going to finish the season strong. And Klopp is an amazing manager, and I reckon he will get the best out of his players. I suspect so. What's really interesting to me is the is the collapse of Mane. You know, last season there was a lot of conversations, and I remember sitting on various different pods and shows with people saying, you know, who do you do? Do you do Salah? Do you do Mane? And always saying it was a tough call. It was t- it's a tough decision. Do you go Salah? Do you go Mane? And and my answer was always that Salah wins because of the penalties. It just yeah. When you're that tight with two midfielders, you kind of go, well, this one's got a little bit more added potential with with penalties than this one. So I'll go with Salah. But this season, we're not even talking about Mane. Like, he's just dropped off the FPL radar entirely. It's all about Salah and Yotta and Trent. And Phillips, if you are trying to budget for, you know, a midfield that contains maybe KDB, Fernandez, Salah, Yotta. And then Kane and Vardy up top, then you might have to save some money. I mean, I don't think you would want to go with all of those premiums, but because there's such value in people like Lingard that we've already spoken about. But if you are trying to budget for just a huge premium overhaul up top and in the middle, then maybe Phillips is one that might just give you that that extra bit of budget that you need. Um, I think going on from that conversation, then it's, it's probably wise to talk about the cheaper strikers because game week 33, they actually all did really well. So we had goals from Watkins. We had a goal from Vidra, even Bamford, who went off just after the Cooper red card. So didn't play very much of the match, but he still registered an assist before he went. Ian Acho, we've already talked about with his brace. Benteke even popped up and took away the, the Chelsea clean sheet, much to everyone's great annoyance. Yes. Uh, Maybe we can even bracket Lacazette in here because he's not quite at that real premium striker price. Although, of course, he is significantly more expensive than the other ones that I've mentioned. What's your plans for this striker position? If you were going to wildcard ahead of game week 31, with this wealth of options, how do we manage it? Because you're going to go Kane because of the double in 32. But who gets the nod in those two spots alongside him? Because you've probably got five or six players now that you could justifiably argue have a right to be there. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one for forwards this season. They really haven't, uh, for forwards for me this season, haven't really made my heart go pop. You know, it's, it's been all about the midfield. It's yeah, midfield and basically Kane. Uh, I haven't really had much from these fours, but Bamford has just been a mainstay and mm. you know, he's owned by 44% of the game or something. So I don't think he'll be going anywhere. And like you said, because Leeds are this workhorse team that are going to go through the whole season and Bamford's their striker. So you'd be silly to sell him. And for me, it's Ihenaccio that, that I really like alongside Kane and, and Bamford for obvious reasons that I spoke about earlier. But what I want to talk about right now is the rise of Callum Robinson. Like, who is this guy? I know, where's he come from? I don't know, but why am I even considering this guy? I don't even know. So I need to make a move this week. It could be Bamford to Callum Robertson because why not? It's interesting with Robertson, isn't it? Because, you know, we've spoken already about the top four and having stuff to fight for. And what we haven't really mentioned is is the bottom clubs and the need to fight. And West Mm -hmm. Brom have suddenly decided... I I thought it was going to be Fulham. I thought it was going to be Fulham that fought. They were the ones that were in... The most trajectory and I thought there is a good chance that Fulham and Newcastle switch places and we lose Newcastle and Fulham hold it because they seem to have a bit more get up and go about them the mm-hmm. Anderson signing in January made a massive difference to their defence they looked a lot more stable they were starting to score goals I thought it was going to be Fulham what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that West Brom have suddenly gone well maybe it's not over for us yet turned up massively on Monday evening against Southampton yeah. and, 
and Robertson seems to be kind of going, oh, hello, everyone. Fancy a cheap striker option. And, you know, I thought it might be Deanne. If it was anybody at West, West Brom, I thought it might be him. But no, it, it does seem to be Robertson. Is he somebody you're seriously considering bringing in this week? Because Leeds fixtures, you know, we've mentioned them already. They're a bit up and down, to say the least. There's a lot of difficult fixtures in there. And we do think that they'll play till the end of the season. And the only way Leeds know how to play is attack, attack, attack. But maybe, actually there are better options and maybe having somebody like Robertson who's in a team that are at real risk of getting relegated maybe he's a he's a better pick yeah well I I do love chasing the relegation battles especially when we see some fight from some of these teams that are struggling uh down in in the zone so what we saw from yeah West Brom like you said but for me it was the Chelsea game I watched the I'm, I'm a Chelsea fan so I watched that 90 minutes of that Chelsea game, I watched it to the bitter end of that 5-2. And it was, was great astonished. to see this. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I, I mean, I'm the type of fan where I take it or leave. I don't really, I mean, I, I'm happy when we win. When we lose, you know, we learn something. So we, you know, that was, we. there was two goals that Chelsea has conceded so far under Tuchel and to those five against West Brom. So yeah, that was a big lesson for us. And I think it helped us get through Porto. We didn't concede against Porto this, this morning for us, which was amazing to go through in the Champions League. But from, from that game, I was like, wow, this West Brom team mean business. To do that against Chelsea, who were fighting for top four, that was, that was, that was phenomenal. And, yeah, Robertson, Pereira were just fantastic. So, well, maybe this West Brom team stays up. I've got a Chelsea fan with me. Before we move on to talk about game week 32, let's just have a quick word about the Chelsea defence because I thought long and hard about the Chelsea defence and about which way I should invest in them. Uh and it came down to a choice. So there was a lot of potentials. You, you do go Reese James because there's more attacking threat, but is his place completely nailed? Wasn't completely sure that the, the starts were there every week. Do you go rogue and go Alonso knowing the starts aren't there every week and he's going to share minutes with Chilwell, but has potential upside that's huge. Do you go Chilwell, who I loved owning in the earlier part of this season? Just loved owning him. But then there's the risk of Alonso and they're both expensive, those two guys. So investing in them felt like a real risk. Do you go cheap and just go Rudiger and think, well, he seems to be, you know, a really, really important part of Tuchel's plans. And when he didn't play against West Brom, Chelsea were awful defensively. Do you go with the goalkeeper? Because, you know, I've already mentioned a couple of times that the fixtures for Martinez, who a lot of people have just been on set and forget, aren't great in terms of clean sheets. Of course, he could still do what he did at the weekend and get attacking returns, uh, sorry, get save points and get clean sheet points and that kind of stuff. But it's not looking like it's now to be 10, 11 pointers every week, like it was maybe a month or two ago. Or do you do what I did and just go with the captain and think, right, I'll just go with Aspilicueta because captain, all of that stuff that comes with it, less potential for attacking returns, but captain. And the fixtures were really nice. And there I was sitting with Aspilicueta thinking, yeah, West Brom, clean sheet. Great. That sounds lovely. Let's lock that in. Crystal Palace, yeah, clean sheet. Yeah, lovely. Let's lock that in. A lot of people doubled up on Chelsea defence, went with the defender and a keeper. What are your plans? Do you keep them? Do you stick with it? Because the fixtures do take a little bit of a a tougher swing after this game week. This game week looks okay, but then after that, do you really want the double up of Chelsea? 
Well, Chelsea, obviously, we've gone through in the Champions League now, so we've got rotation to think about. Uh, Tuchel's been pretty decent with rotation. Like you said, Azpilicueta and Rudiger have been pretty much nailed in that uh, that centre back, you know, the centre of the back three, and then you got James, this yeah, you know, this James enigma of Willy Willy Warren, you know. Mm-hmm. So in the last little bit, Hudson Odoi has been absent. James has had that spot nailed for the last little bit. So, and every time he's on, he he, look, he looks great. He's just he excels in that wing back position. That, that is his position, and he's really good at it. So defensively with Chelsea, I think it's it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I know it's been a bit rocky, but Kovacic just got injured. Kante came in today and it was the best performance I've seen from Kante in a very long time. Mm. He just bossed that midfield against Porto. He, he just, just, he was just everywhere. Like he was, you know, in the champion, when we won the, 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 bloody, um, the Premier League, like he was for Leicester. It was one of those games that Kante was just everywhere, dispossessing everyone. So if he can continue that form, then defensively, yeah, we're sound. So I'm, I'm holding Aspilicueta and Rudiger at the moment and they're not going anywhere for me. Interesting. And what about the attack then? Because I'm while I've got a Chelsea expert with me, <laughs> I might as well ask you about the attack. Because for me, Mason Mount has been he's been phenomenal this season. Under Lampard, he was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, when Tuchel arrived, I was really worried about what would happen with Mason Mount. And um, my dad and my brother are, are huge hardcore Chelsea fans, and they were too. They were really worried about what would happen with the the young English talent, mm-hmm. particularly Mason Mount they were worried that, you know, Tuchel might come in and say, okay, look, let's give these other guys a chance. And he did in the opening game. And then quickly, I think, realised how important Mason Mount has become. But game week 31, it was like watching a new Chelsea attack. I thought Mount was great, but Pulisic came back to being the Pulisic that I loved watching last Mm. season. I'm a really, really big Pulisic fan. I think he's a fantastic player. Yeah. But he hasn't really shown that this season because he's been so in and out of the team with injuries. It's been so disappointing for him this year. But game week 31, really, he really picked it up. I think on the basis that Havertz massively picked it up and Havertz was playing in that kind of more attacking role because Werner wasn't there. And the two of them bounced off of each other like something I've not really seen from Chelsea forwards a lot. Well, not not consistently anyway this season. What's your view on for managers looking to wildcard the Chelsea attack? Who do you go with? Because is it still a definite hard no with Werner? It seems that way to me. But the midfield, there seems to be quite a lot of choice. So how do you pick one? Well, uh, let's start with Timo Werner. I've owned Timo Werner probably three times this season because I really want him to not become a Shevchenko, to not get that Chelsea striker curse. Uh, but he's just, he's literally just fallen straight into it. And I honestly think it's, it's, it's all, it's all a belief thing. Yeah. You just, just don't do that. Become a drug buyer, you know, become a Diego Costa, but now he's gone the other way, unfortunately for him. I still, I'm still hopeful that next season might be his season, but I mean, what Tuchel's done is brilliant. Yeah. To, to take the Timo Werner out of the team and bring in Pulisic and, and Havertz, you know, not even play a recognized striker. It's brilliant mm. because all of a sudden the pressure's off Timo now. He hasn't scored a goal since game week eight, I think it is. But Havertz has come in and done a job, a job that Chelsea fans didn't know he could do. I mean, we, we haven't seen him play as this false line position. And that the relationship, that symbiotic relationship that he has with Pulisic, and you said, and Mount can play with anyone, it's been amazing to watch. And even watching it in the Champions League today was great that we have those options. Yeah, you can play Timo out wide. You can play him in the middle. You can play Havertz out wide or in the middle. But 
getting the best out of Havertz has always been a massive thing for this Chelsea team this season. And finally, it's starting to click into gear. So I wouldn't be looking at Havertz just yet unless you're really ballsy. But Pulisic, like you said, we, we know what he can do in the league mm. and he's starting to prove it. Yeah, that, that brace that he scored was amazing. So Pulisic for that bit more pricey, but Mason, you can't go past Mason Mount. I think it's like seven, he'd be seven something, you know, seven million in my team. So he's seven, seven point something now. He's just a great shout, you know, on corners, most set pieces as well. So Chelsea going to finish strong and Mason Mount's your guy. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. I, I really do like him. I also love the fact that it's the Euros this summer. And of course, he's got some real playing to do. If he wants to be, he's going to be on the plane for sure. But if he wants to get into that starting 11, he's got to really no, ratchet it up towards the end of the season. And, and I think he's looking like he's going to do that. Just be interesting to see what happens around the Champions League because, of course, as you've mentioned, Chelsea have made it out of the quarterfinals, which is great. Let's see what happens next because I, I believe if if Liverpool make it tonight, it's, it's going to be Chelsea-Liverpool, isn't it, in the next yes. round? So that always makes my life a little bit difficult, obviously, with a Liverpool-supporting husband and a dad and a brother who support <laughs> Chelsea. I just go and hide under a little bit of a rock while that's happening um, and close my eyes and come out three hours later when it's all over. Um, all right, let's go into game week 32 then because, as usual, I'm going to ask you to pick out a player from each position for game week 32 who you think yeah. will be a, a good investment, but not just because I'm a Spurs fan, but because it would be a miss for us to just not focus on Spurs for a little bit, given that they are the only team to double in game week 32. They're away at Everton. They're not home to Southampton. Um, Spurs are the worst in the league by a long way um, for failing to win when leading at half time. They are the worst for goals conceded in the last 10 minutes of matches. They are the worst um, for dropping points in the last 10 minutes of matches. They are just awful. Um, but on the flip of that, they are second for scoring first and second for leading at half time. So they know how to take a lead and score goals. They just don't know how to hold them at the moment. And that is difficult. Now, with a mind on game week 33 as well, and of course, the League Cup final for Spurs, that that does play into my mind that says that's a one-off game where Mourinho is going to go all out to win that piece of silverware because we all know that Spurs fans need a bit of silverware in our lives. Um, <laughs> it's not looking likely given the way that Manchester City are playing right now, but that will be a, that will be in the back of Mourinho's head. So might we see some rotation from Spurs in the next couple of games over game week 32? We might. However, Spurs' league position is not good enough right now. It's not good enough to be able to make European spots. And if we want to have any hope of maintaining the players that we have but also attracting new ones. There has to be European football at White Hart Lane next season. So there does have to be some real focus on these two matches in the league. What do you think about Spurs for the double? Kane, all but essential, surely. I don't even think we need to discuss him. He will be the most captained player this game week, for sure. Would we bracket Son into the essential category for this week as well? Or do you think that managers can go through a game week 32 without him? From what we've seen recently from Spurs, like you've said, it has not been pretty. No. Uh, I'm I'm really hoping they bounce back. I was I was buoyed. I was I was pumped up. I was reliving my childhood of seeing Bale back in this team. It was so oh. nice to see Bale back in there doing what he does best. But then this whole drama around Mourinho, whatever, it, that, that saddened me. Now with Spurs, now Bale's out of the team. But I mean, we know what Sonny Kane can do. You know, I, I think for a double game week, if you take this game. A little bit seriously, you got to own both of them for this week. You can't not. 
you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I think so. I, I think you do. And I think, you know, you think back to the game in game week two against Southampton when Spurs were phenomenally good, um, particularly Sun and Kane in that game, they were just all over it. And I don't think Southampton have learned that many lessons about dealing with defences. They still defend in the same way that they were defending in, in game week two. So if they're going to still continue to play a high press and play a high line against Spurs, you will be punished on the counter-attack because that's how Spurs play best. We saw that against Crystal Palace. We saw that against Burnley a few weeks ago. I've just written um, an article for the FF Scout website um, about Spurs differentials for game week 32. I, as I've mentioned, I'm planning to wildcard in game week 33, which basically gives me a free hit this week. It means I have a free transfer for anybody I like because I don't need to worry about whether they play in game week 33. I don't need to worry about their fixtures moving forward because it's just somebody that's coming in purely for this week and this week alone. And in this article, I was therefore focused on Spurs because I think the reality is if you're going to take a free punt this week, you're going to take it on a Spurs player. And the decisions, I think, for me came down to three. Do I go with the goalkeeper? And that would enable me to bench boost potentially this week by bringing in Hugo Lloris. Do I go with Reguillon and hopefully get a clean sheet from these games, but also look at the attacking potential that he offers? Or do I go with Lucas Moura, who's the other attacking option of choice from Spurs? Although, of course, he is less um, prolific, let's say. Than, than the likes of Sun and Kane. But for me, the treble up is on because I have a wild card for the week after. If I didn't have a wild card for the week after, I wouldn't be doing a hokey cokey with Spurs players. I wouldn't be bringing in somebody specially for this week to take them out next week, unless it was Kane or Sun. If you don't own Kane or Sun, I'd do it and then take them out again the week after. But the trouble with Spurs, of course, is that going back into game week 34, they play Sheffield United, who you're going to want Kane and Sun for. So it's, it's a difficult one. Um, without going into my entire article, because that would just bore everyone, go over into the FF Scout website and read about it. Um, the player I think that I'll be bringing in as a third is, is Reguillon. Mostly because I have a Creswell-shaped issue. So it's an easy fix to go from, from Creswell, potentially, if he is definitely out to Reguillon. Reguillon has the attacking potential that makes him attractive to FPL managers. He sits fifth across all Premier League defenders for take-ons um, in the last, well, since game week 26, when he returned from injury. It's just one less than Fulham Zayner, who has got um, played an extra game than him. In the last 10 game weeks, Reguillon is second for crosses amongst Spurs teammates. Only Sun's got more than him. He obviously wasn't around in game weeks one and two. So he hasn't yet played a league match against Southampton or, or Everton. So it is difficult but his biggest point towards of the season have come against Burnley and Fulham, both of whom allowed Spurs to play that counter-attacking football that they really enjoy playing. The sort of football that you'll expect Southampton to play against them. And then I did a little bit of a dig into to Southampton. Southampton have conceded 11 more goals than any other club between game week 19 and 31. They've allowed their opposition to score 37 goals in 14 fixtures. And of those 37 goals, 12 of them have come in the last four matches. So there's definitely potential upside there. And I think with the way that Southampton defends, the counter-attack, which Reguillon is always part of, will be a potential option. So there is definitely an upside to it. They also haven't scored very many goals of late. If Dominic Calvert-Lewin is still out, 
that's going to affect the Everton attack for sure. Uh, Southampton and Everton, seventh and fourth, worst respectively for attempts on goal this whole season. Bodes well for a, for a potential clean sheet now. Everything that we've said about Spurs at the beginning of this little section says they can't keep clean sheets. They let in goals in the last 10 minutes. They throw away leads. I just wonder whether these two might be the fixtures where there's an opportunity for that to actually stick. And as a bit of a punt, I think I'm going to go with him this time around. What do you think? Would you, if you're wildcarding next week and therefore this is a totally free punt and you had to pick another Spurs player, who would you go with? Well, I'll do you one better. I wildcarded last week and I wildcarded in uh, Hugo Lloris. So I've got I've got the Spurs treble up, uh, you know, so hopefully they don't let me down uh, this, this time around. But it is smart. I mean, when I looked at the fixtures, I saw Everton and Southampton. You're seeing two teams out of form. Southampton is literally on the beach. They've got nothing to play for. So I can see that game being, you know, fairly advantageous for, for Spurs. And the Everton game, obviously, Spurs, uh, Everton are going to be playing a bit more for it. They're going to go for it. But at the same time, Spurs really need to step up their game. And for now's sure. the time, like you said. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that, that, that there is a double clean sheet in there. And I, I, I'm a really big fan of Hugo Lloris. I think he is one of, if not the best uh, keeper in the league. He's, he's fantastic uh, in between the sticks. But Mourinho hasn't been able to galvanize that Spurs defense yet. You know, I expected the addition of Doherty uh, to, to really add some some nows to that back line and it hasn't you know Doherty's been out of the team uh like you said Re- Reguillon's probably your only bet you know there hasn't mm. been much else there there's so I'm sure that Mourinho's going to buy some 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 form of defensively uh you know come the end of the season because that Spurs defense really needs a shake-up I think so and that's but, the you problem know, for me is that the Spurs defense is just not been strong enough and in part I actually don't necessarily blame the defence because we have had more defenders this season than I've ever known there's been no consistency particularly in the centre-back position sometimes it's Alderweireld and Sanchez sometimes it's Alderweireld and Dyer. sometimes it's Dyer and Sanchez sometimes it's Roden and Dyer. sometimes it's Roden and Alderweireld sometimes it's Roden and Sanchez like you just can't know from one week to the next who's going to play in that centre-back position the wingers even there's been constant changes there as well. Is it Doherty or is it Aurier? Is it Reguillon? Is it Davis? Now we're fairly sure about Reguillon now because Davis is out injured. But there's all of this change, constant change in the centre-back positions, in the wing-back positions. You never get decent defensive results if you don't allow the team to play together and get used to each other and form a relationship. We see that at Liverpool, right? The loss of Van Dijk and Gomez and Matip has meant that you've had constant changes in that Liverpool back line. Sometimes it's Milner, sometimes it's Fabinho, sometimes it's Phillips, the other Phillips, Quebec. It's it's all over the place. They've now got Ben Davis as well, haven't they? So like it's, this constant changing isn't good for anybody. It doesn't breed confidence in each other. And it doesn't breed confidence to the wingbacks to be able to go forward and expect the centre-backs to help protect them. So for me, I think the the centre-back position is a problem. And it does mean that I am a little bit wary of investing in the back line for this time. Lloris was my plan. He was always my plan for this week until the Creswell hammy. I'm really keeping a close eye on it. 
there's still potential that I do go with Luis and instead I replace Creswell with a minus four and go with a Leicester defender. That could happen. Uh, That would still therefore allow the bench boost to happen. I was sort of hoping for a bit more news about game week 35 and what that might look like, because if that's another big double, then there's potential to hold the bench boost chip for then. But I keep feeling like the bench boost chip just keeps getting held and I'm sort of had enough of it now. I want to, I want to use it. So I'm a bit there or thereabouts. But for me, I think an investment, if if you're not worried about game week 33 and you've got a plan to cope with the blanks in 33, then going for Reggion, going for Luis, even a little punt on Lucas Moura, whose underlying stats actually do look really good over the last six game weeks, then maybe, maybe there is scope for the treble up. Enough about Spurs. Enough. Let's move away from them because quite honestly, they'll probably let us all down like they have done with me for most of this season. Um, and I'll be there with three of them going, what has happened here? This was supposed to be a really nice double game week. What can you do? Let's start with um, looking at a player from each position across the other sides that are playing in game week 32. Of course, we don't have Crystal Palace, so you can't pick any Crystal Palace players, even if you wanted to. Um, but let's, say, let's start with the goalkeeper then. If you were going to pick somebody to go between the sticks this week that wasn't Hugo Lloris, because we've already spoken about him, who would you go yeah. with? Uh, I'm going to have to back my boy, uh, Edward Mendy from, from Chelsea. I, I, he was so close to uh, being in my, uh, my, my wildcard team uh, just because of the security of starts, you know, in, the, in that back line. And I just, I, I love, I loved his, uh, his price point was fantastic. So I mean, we've seen what he can do. He made a slight error today in the Champions League, but he's been so solid in between those sticks. Yeah. His distribution has been amazing. So I really like Mendy as, you know, as that second Chelsea uh, you know, back line member. So yeah, I've really enjoyed him. How about yourself, Sam? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, actually, with him. I, I also do really like Luke Schmeichel for this week. I think that these Leicester fixtures just look really nice on paper. So Schmeichel might be a, a decent shout as well. Defender for me, who have you got? It's, well, it's Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's yeah. the guy that I want in my team, but I can't sell Sun to get him. So I'm very worried what Trent's going to do uh, you know, in this game against Leeds because, like you said, Leeds are going to attack... Liverpool are going to attack. So I see that being a high scoring game there. So I'm very, very worried for what Trent is going to haul in this game. I must admit, he's one that I'm kind of sitting on thinking, oh, it hurts a bit not having him. Uh, But I don't know. There are, there are other, there are other teams with fixtures that I think are potential. If you, if you're not going with, uh, the Leicester keeper, then one of the Leicester defenders potentially looks like a decent option. Manchester United, Luke Shaw, I think is a good pick for this week as well. That Burnley fixture, particularly if Nick Pope doesn't make it back, then Luke Shaw could be a really nice pick this week. A midfielder for me, who have you got in midfield? It's uh, a tricky one. Obviously, without without having Spurs in there, uh, yeah, we spoke about Lingard, but I really like Greenwood. You know, I, I'm, I'm hoping mm. for this this revival of Greenwood now. You know, he got the goal assist. If he can get back into this team, we could, we saw what he did at the back end of last season. And whenever I'm watching him, I just know, as soon as the ball hits his 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 boot, you know it's going in or it's on target. Yeah. And most of his shots that are on target go in because of the power he has behind that ball. And he is so greedy. So FPL-wise, he's such a great option when he's getting the minutes. Yeah, I like that. I think he's a really good pick. And we've already said they've got a lot of motivation to keep going, haven't they? So it makes a lot of sense. Now, this one's a bit more difficult, I think, because obviously can't have Kane. Uh, but presumably you might be going Ian Acho with this one, the forward for the game week. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Nacho. We, we saw what he did against West Ham and yeah, he's literally yeah, taken that mantle from Jamie Vardy. Who knows if it's the end of Jamie Vardy? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, uh, but you know, Ian Acho just in that spot, being supported by Jamie Vardy, being able mm. to shine. So I, I can't go past him. If you don't own him, think about it. And I'll just have a little shout out to the opposite side of North London and just say Lacazette. I think he's going to have a really nice end to the season. I sort of think he's quite enjoying being the main man, the kind of the senior figure while Aubameyang's just, so out of form that Lacazette could be a really, really nice pick for the next seven weeks. Yeah. Right. Let's, before I let you go, let's talk about captains. This is probably going to be the shortest captain conversation ever in the history of the Scout the Game Week podcast. Mick, who's getting your arm back for 32? <sighs> Oh, man. I really don't want to captain Harry Kane this week, but you can't not. You know, I mean, you can go Sun, but I can't, I can't captain Sun personally because I took him out for that 24-point haul he got early in the season. So I can't, I can't go there again. So it'll be, it'll be Harry Kane. It has to be. You know, I, I don't think there's any other option. It's really hard, isn't it? Because I totally agree with you. I think it's got to be Kane. But on paper, there's some such lovely fixtures there for, mm. for other players that I think there'll be a lot of managers that look at this and go, oh, I'd like to captain Lingard. I'd like to captain Iheanacho. I'd like to captain Bruno. I'd like to captain Lacazette. <laughs> I can't because Kane has got a really nice game week on double game week on paper. So it's, I think for the majority of FPL managers, it will be Kane. I suspect we might see the most captained player ever in FPL this weekend because <laughs> yes. he's the only one with a double. We don't very often get it so that you have one team with a double and that's it. So the fact that we've just got Spurs means that he's going to be the go-to for everybody. And I think if you don't own Harry Kane this week, it's probably time to buy a very, very, very big sofa to hide behind because it could be very difficult getting through Friday night and then the following Thursday, or following Wednesday, sorry, without him could Absolutely. be a difficult one. I made the mistake of not captaining him against Newcastle, having yeah, knowing full well that he was going to get a brace. I knew he was going to get that brace. I knew, I already yeah. saw it. But I thought, no, I can't captain him. I want to go different. And I suffered for that. So I'm not going to make that mistake in a double game. <laughs> Two plum fixtures. So the hurricane, take the armband, it's yours. Ah, brilliant. Right, that's it for this week's Scout the Game Week. Mick, thank you so much for joining me. We'll get Joff next time to come and join us as well. We'll catch up with you a bit later on, probably towards the end of the season or in pre-season for next year. I will be back next week with another Scout the Game Week. We'll look back at Spurs' double where hopefully the Spurs players have actually pulled on their shooting boots and returned us some FPL points. And I'll be joined that time by Pete and Dubs who are from FPL Side Net. So another conversation with some Australian FPL content creators. Oh, wow. I'll see you guys next week.